it was my privilege to uh, introduce to you Dave Firth and Dave uh, feel free to come on up Dave and I have uh, known each other for a good number of years now um, I remember the first time I met Dave do you remember the first time we met uh, clearly not that uh, memorable <laughs> for, for Dave uh, we, I, I, I was introduced to Dave and he wandered up to me shook my hand and he said the, the first words he said were do you like coffee <laughs> yeah. you remember that right and uh, and I said yes and then his response was, good, we can be friends then. Yes. So, uh, so there you go. That's, that tells you a little bit about Dave. I wish I knew that story. That's a great story. <laughs> yeah, yeah well, I've always remembered that. And then, uh, but there's one thing that I have gotten to know with Dave over the, uh, the course of the last, I don't know, eight years or thereabouts, is that one thing he loves uh, far more than coffee is, is the Lord Jesus mm. and his word and teaching his word, opening it and sharing it. And so, uh, yeah, I just want to say thanks for coming mm. and looking forward to, to hearing what you have from Luke 15. Thank you. Bless Cheers. you, bro. I was going to say what I should have said when we met is do you love Jesus? But you kindly uh, said that. Yeah, I do like coffee. Some people think I have a problem. Hey, it's nice to be here finally to get the gig of being able to preach at TA Bible Chapel. I've been in New Zealand 12 years and this is the first time I've actually been here on a Sunday morning and there's like 12 of us. Thanks a lot. No, no, I'm kidding. It's wonderful to be here. I got to come to camp a few months back. Seems a long time ago now. March, the world wasn't quite as crazy as it is now. But that was good. Now I hear you talking about a name change which is interesting, or a discussion about a name change. I was considering one myself. Tony very kindly apologized in advance in case he called me Colin. Uh, Uncle Colin Firth and I uh, were not really related at all. Um, just as handsome and dashing as each other. Well, I'm just here today with my daughter, Carissa. She's come to bolster the crowd. My wife and other two kids are at Kaipaki Church this morning where we fellowship. I help out from time to time. And then I also work with a ministry called Authentic, which some of you will know, some of the men might know, because you should have seen some of the men's magazine, Authentic magazine, kicking around. Um, we've been running that three years now. Gosh, where did all that time go? So, very excited to preach. When Brad asked me, um, he did say, and I've known for some time, because we do chat, because we do drink coffee together and talk about Jesus, um, that you as a church were going through I don't know if it's a series, but looking at loving God, loving the uh, church, and loving the lost. Loving God, loving the church, and loving the lost. And um, so I was excited to have the opportunity to teach through loving the lost and what that is and should be to us. So I entitled the message, How Do We Love Those That Don't Know Jesus? And of course, when you're talking about the lost, there's a few places to go. One of the obvious places is where we are going today in Luke chapter 15. Luke 15 is perfectly placed in the New Testament right after Luke 14, which is incredibly important because Luke 14 is actually all about being a disciple. In fact, we, we do have that slight look at that. There we are. So I'll read it. If you've got your Bibles, turn to it. It's always good to follow the text in your own Bible. In Luke verse, uh, verse chapter, Luke chapter 15, verse 25, the first couple of verses, it says, large crowds were traveling with Jesus and turning to them, he said, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother and wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even their own life, such a person cannot be my disciple. And, who, and whoever does not carry their cross and follow me 
cannot be my disciple. That's a strange thing to say. Uh, really, if you think about it in context, you've got to hate all the people that you're supposed to love to be my disciple. Well, we're going to come back to that. It's an important passage, and of course, it sets up wonderfully for what's going to happen next. But today, we're going to talk about the lost. And it occurred to me some time back as I was thinking and praying through this that there's two kinds of lost. There's those that know they're lost and those that don't know they're lost. And there is a difference. It's important. If you don't know you're lost, that is a problem when somebody tells you that you're lost. Because what do you say? I'm not lost. You're lost. You can't tell me what, that I'm lost. I know exactly where I'm going. If you don't know you're lost, it's hard to be told that you're lost. He's still following some nods and smiles. That's good. Whereas if you are lost and you know you're lost, then you're quite happy to accept help. In fact, you'll often shout, help, I'm lost. Jesus gives us three examples of being lost and the, the cool little video before um, shows one of them. Jesus talks about a lost sheep, a lost coin, and a lost son. And the sheep is a good one, and I, I like that illustration, but there's, there's obviously a lot deeper meanings in here. The sheep isn't just a sheep, it's his sheep. In the illustration Jesus gives, we call them parables, but what he says is he's talking about somebody, it's one of his sheep. The shepherd's sheep is lost. And it may, immediately made me think of King David, long before he was a king. And King David, or well, David as the shepherd, he's out in the field one day, and you'll remember the story. Well, actually, we don't hear much about the story. We just hear him telling um, Saul about it just before he's about to take down Goliath. But basically what happened is he's in the field one day looking after the sheep, and then a lion comes and grabs one of the sheep and runs off. And you can imagine David, oh no, there's a lion. Lord, there's a lion, he's got one of your sheep. Yes, David, he's got one of my sheep. What are you going to do about it? Well, but it, it's, it's a lion. The lion's got the sheep, Lord. We need to do something. But whose job is it to look after the sheep, David? Well, yeah, it's mine, but there's a lion. Well, go and get the sheep, David. How? What, how why? How? You've got to get the sheep. No, you go and get the sheep. But what if the lion turns on me, Lord? Tear it apart with your bare hands. I mean, that's an interesting conversation. Well, of course, David goes and gets the sheep, his, the Lord's sheep, and kills the lion. And then maybe it's a week, maybe it's a year later, but the same thing happens. There's a bear. A bear comes and grabs one of the sheep and runs off with the sheep. You can imagine David. Lord, there's a bear. Oh, no. I know how this goes. And he has to run, catch the bear, get the sheep, kill the bear, and he does it. It's not just any sheep, it's one of his sheep. God wants David to go and get that sheep because it's so precious. We get this story, of course, we talk about um, Jesus and the good shepherd. In fact, Jeff's teaching on John chapter 10 today at Kaipaki, all about the good shepherd. The preciousness of us as sheep we get in this little parallel. The second one is the, the coin. The coin, it's great value. This, this uh, woman that's lost the coin, we're going to go have a look at these, uh, the passage in a minute. But the coin itself seems to be worth around two to three hundred dollars. It's a coin that's lost. It's not just like a ten cent coin. This is an important coin. I remember losing my wallet in a tube in Barcelona a long time ago, 15 years ago. And uh, got, long story very short, got pickpocketed on a on the metro 
had my bag on my shoulder and a young lady decided to help herself to my wallet. But I felt the move because I'm a ninja and I knew. So as soon as she got off, I, I'm not really a ninja. I chased her down the um, platform and I, Marsha was with me and she was confused, what's he doing? And I grabbed this girl by the wrist and I said, you've got my wallet. And grabbing a girl you don't know in the middle of Barcelona uh, on a, in a train station, probably I hadn't thought it through. But anyway, I started shouting that she's got my wallet, she's got to give it back. Everything I had. My, all my credit cards, my driving license. I'm in Barcelona. I didn't have anybody I could go to. So I needed it back. Eventually she threw it on the floor. And off she ran and I grabbed it. And the sense of relief I had. In fact, I think I was shaking. You know, in the moment you don't realize I was shaking. I got my wallet back. Such a relief when you get something that you've lost that is so precious. We understand that sentiment. And then the third lost parable in this passage we're going to look at probably the one we're most familiar with and it would take us a week or more to really unpack it properly but uh, the son Jesus refers to this guy um, one of the two brothers that he wants his inheritance and he he heads off and you know and we'll look at it but the joyous welcome he receives when he realizes his mistake and returns home humbled and broken to receive that forgiveness it's quite exciting. So let's get into the, the text. We'll look at the parable of the lost sheep. <clears throat> I'll read the first couple of verses. We only go from verse 4 on the screen. Now the tax collectors and sinners were, were all gathering around to hear Jesus, but the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. That's really interesting. This, what Jesus says now is in a response to that. This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Jesus told them this parable. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. Then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, I've found my lost sheep. Then he goes on to say, finishes off that parable by saying to them, I tell you that in the same way there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. There is that sense, the word would be relief, of when you've lost something and you find it. Whether it's your glasses, which for me it would be a problem because then everything's a bit blurry and I panic if I can't find my glasses because I want to be able to see. It might be your watch, it might be something that's precious to you, or, or, or even your wallet. But there's that great sense of joy when you find something. It's wonderful. I hate losing things. I, it's one of those OCD things. I can't stand things being lost. And when I was a little boy, probably five or six, my mum wore contact lenses. And if she'd lost a contact lens, in those days, they, they weren't the throwaway ones. You had to find this thing. So I'd be on the floor, hands and knees, looking for it. And I just, I loved finding it. I liked helping as well, but couldn't stand things to be lost. If I heard something was lost, I'd start freaking out until it was found. I remember my dad lost his dog. I got in the car and drove over to his house and me and my buddy, we looked all over till we found this dog. It's got to be found. Um, we, we've lost some things. I have children, so we do lose things from time to time, don't we, dear? Well, the other day, well, a while ago now, I realized we couldn't find our game, Settlers of Catan. What a great game. Great family game, Settlers of Catan. And I've had this for years and packed it all into the small expansion box so you could get the six player version there and we take it with us in fact when we were bible school we brought it 
many years ago. Um, I, I kept all the pieces together, and the boys loved playing it, and Rissy loves playing it. And then one day, I said, where's Settlers of Catan? And we couldn't find this game. And maybe another a week later, where's Settlers of Catan? And we couldn't find it. And one day, I said, that's it. We've got to find this thing. I can't remember what I promised them or threatened them with, but, you know, it's no dinner or whatever till you find this game. So off they went, all looking for this game. And I was looking as well, and I'd already looked in the places I thought it would be, so it'd be in a bag or something. And then um, one of my boys, that will rename, remain nameless, Michael, said, I found it! I found it! And he came running through, and I was like, yes! And then he goes, only kidding. I was like, you! <laughs> so we still don't know where it is. <laughs> but it's lost, but gosh, I was excited when I thought it was found. Because um, I wanted to play it. It's great, and it's fun. Don't like losing stuff. Jesus uses the parable of the lost sheep that we just read and the parable of the lost coin to prepare us for the third parable in this little mini-series, which is looking at the lost son. So the sheep gets our focus. We see the point. We understand the analogy. But then he talks about something of precious value in the parable of the lost coin, which is from verse 8. And he continues, he says, Or suppose a woman has ten silver coins and loses one. Doesn't she light a lamp, sweep the house, and search carefully until she finds it? And when she does, and when she finds it, she calls for her friends and neighbors. She calls her friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, I have found my lost coin. In the same way I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. We search for things of value. If you'd lost 10 cents, you wouldn't care, really. I mean, if you'd lost a toenail, <laughs> I mean, it's gone, right? Not going to glue it back on. We search for the things that we want back, that are value to us. If you'd lost a dollar, you'd look for it for a certain point, but if you'd lost $10, you might look a little longer. But if you'd lost $100,000, probably going to get your attention, isn't it? Would you lie, cheat, and steal for $10? I hope not. I'd like to think you wouldn't lie, cheat, or steal at all, but what if it was for $10 million? There's a point, but some people would reach where they would consider it. It's amazing what the value of things will do to our heart. It can be negative, but of course it can be positive. Should any amount of money change our behavior? We value things differently, of course. When you're in the middle of the desert and you need water, giving you a million dollars isn't going to help you. You want a glass of water. If something is precious enough, we will search for it. We'll search hard for it. If I say to, my, to one of my kids, go find your maths book, it's time to start school. I can't find my maths book. Really? I've looked everywhere. Okay. Well, no TV until it's found then. It's amazing how quickly that thing shows up. When we really want to find something, when it's valuable to us, we will put that extra effort in. A story I often like, well, it's a not real story I, I like to tell is, when we, church prayer meetings, this may be, a, may be a sensitive one, church prayer meetings are notorious for struggling to get people to commit, to come to prayer meetings, whatever they are. And um, I don't want to get into all that, but the, the reality is, if it, wasn't, uh, if it was good coffee at the prayer meeting, perhaps more people would come. There's a tip for you, Brad. Um, and every other pastor out there. But uh, I often say, 
one of the reasons for, for people not going, and it can be family, you know, kids getting out the door in time can be a challenge, and yeah, yeah, and there's lots of genuine excuse, excuses. But if I said to pretty much any of you, if you nip down to Hamilton Airport at 4 a.m. on Saturday morning, there's a suitcase there with my name on it. If you pick it up, bring it back, there's $50,000 in it, and you can have half if you do that. It's amazing how many people are free and available at 4 a.m. on a Saturday morning. Everybody. I've never done that, by the way. But the point is, if something's valuable enough, we're suddenly free. We've got the time. We'll do the things that we want to do. It's just how we determine the value. So this passage of Scripture helps us understand losing things isn't good. Well, that's probably fairly obvious. We rejoice when lost things are found. We search extra hard for the valuable things. And then we celebrate when we find them. So now this third part of the, of the passage here. Um, I've just put the first bit and the, and the end on because it's a, it's a big passage. I'll read the whole thing for you though. Jesus continued, there was a man who had two sons. The younger one had said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Actually, no, I won't read the whole thing because you probably know the story. But basically, the son heads off. He takes his share of the estate and he heads off. And initially things go well, in, well, well by his standard. And he's spending his money. Then he runs out of money, finds a really rubbish job. And he's, in, he's eating food with pigs. He's looking after pigs and um, things aren't going well. And he realizes, my father's servants are treated better than me, and they eat better than me, I'll go back. And he's repentant, and he's broken, and he goes back. And uh, the other brother that didn't go, he gets a bit funny about it. Hey, I stayed here the whole time. I was faithful. But you're going to celebrate this guy coming back and have a party for him? And then the verse 31 there, the, the father says, My son, you are always with me. And everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because his brother of, this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. He thought he was gone. <clears throat> but you see, he was home in the first place. He became lost. We'll come back to that as well. The father waited for his son to return. He didn't chase him down, drag him back, kicking and screaming. He could have. He had the authority to. But he gave him the freedom to choose. The guy was humbled and broken. That's a blessing. Sometimes when we are humbled and broken, it's the best thing that could happen to us. Pride is such a damaging thing in our world, our society. We're taught to chase success and ambition. And pride can get in and cause damage. And it's what happened with this young man. And he needed to go away and experience what he experienced so he could be broken and humbled and come back and understand what true value was. What does God need to do for us to understand how precious we are? What does he need to do to get us to understand how precious his lost ones are? I honestly think if we realize how much he loved us, it would help us understand how much he loves others. And I wonder why the things that break God's heart aren't always the things that break our hearts. Why we don't yearn for the things he yearns for. If it was my son or daughter that was at the side of the road begging or caught up in a wicked way of life, how quick would I be to go and love them, support them, care for them, help them? Yet we sometimes struggle when people get caught in these lifestyle choices that cause so much damage. How hard would it be for me to see one of my kids walk past another one of my kids who was in desperate need and just ignore them? 
break my heart. When God looks at the way we behave, the way we prioritize things and time and money the way we think we should, I wonder how much he weeps at that. If you're watching my kids for me and I come to pick them up and I say, where, where are they? You say, oh, I have no idea. What do you mean, you know, no idea? You're looking after my kids. Oh, I know, I just got distracted. There was this like train of ants carrying bits of food. Couldn't take my eyes off them. <laughs> no idea where your kids are. What sort of a rubbish friend are you? You look after the things that are important to someone you care about. How could you not look after my precious child? You know how important they are to me. Let me tell you something I, I feel I'm absolutely sure of. Our heart for others is directly determined by our relationship with Jesus. 100%. Especially those that don't know him. Our heart for them is determined by our relationship with Jesus. This may sound a little controversial. I'm not adverse to a bit of controversy. But the purpose of the church is not evangelism. We sometimes think it is, and it's not, not that that's an untrue statement to say the church should evangelize, but the purpose of the church is discipleship. Jesus says that in Matthew 28. He says, all authority has been given to me, therefore go, or as you go, make disciples. Jesus knew what he meant when he said disciple, make disciples, and the disciples knew, certainly many of them knew. The only ambiguity is really what we think that word means. Back to Luke 14, when Jesus said, if you want to be my disciple, this is what it's going to take. He lists an incredibly challenging um, list of things. You've got to hate your mother and father, your, your wife, your children, even your own life. And of course, he's not referring to hate. I mean, folk will write books on this word. And the translations translate it into, into hate, pretty much every translation all hate, all hate is, is an absence of love. All poverty is an absence of money. Darkness is an absence of light. If I gave Brad all my money, how much have I got left to give to anybody else? None. When Jesus is asked in Mark 12, 30, uh, what is the greatest commandment? He says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. We talked about that at camp. And love your neighbor as yourself. So you love him with all, it means there is nothing left. The only love we've got is an overflow of that love relationship with the Father. If I grab a pen and throw it at your head, wouldn't be very nice of me, would it? But you don't think, hmm, there's a pen flying towards my head. I probably should blink. That's probably a good thing to do. You wouldn't do that. You'd automatically blink. You're, you've just programmed to. It's automatic. You wouldn't think about it for a second if you drop a coin on the floor you don't go ah oh, now I need to think through how am I going to get this coin back up into my hand you'd immediately lean down and pick it up automatic there's a scary dog running towards you which does happen from time to time oh look there's an angry dog running towards me I wonder what I should do I'll look up a useful method on Google and see what to do when an angry dog is running towards no you turn and you bolt away from that dog Think about it afterwards. If I step in something, I wipe it off. It's automatic. It's natural. When we are totally surrendered to his life, 
at work in us. The overflow of that pours out on those around us. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And I won't, but if you sit and unpack each of those, what that means, do you love him with all your heart, with all your mind, what you put in, what you think about, what you prioritize? Your soul, your strength, what does it mean to you? Loving the lost or caring for people in general is only limited by our relationship with the Lord Jesus. Our love for the Father through our relationship with Christ who lives in us by and through his Holy Spirit. So the homeless person or the friend at work or the person that God has laid on our heart that doesn't know Jesus. We think, sometimes think we need a strategy to get them saved. We've got to come, and come up with a plan. What we've got to do. You don't make a plan when I throw that pen at your face. It's an automatic response to something you already know. If our life is a life that is totally surrendered to the Lord Jesus, it's the most natural thing in the world to love the lost. I've seen people, using homeless people as an example, I've seen Christians go up, talk to, share with, laugh, joke with, have a meal with, homeless person. And then you talk to them about it and they don't really know what you're talking about. It wasn't this huge event where they went and did this amazing Christian act. It's like, they, it's like if you said, do you remember that day when you scratched your ear when it was itchy? They'd be like, I have no idea what you're talking about. I don't remember that. If it's a natural overflow of how you live your life, you're not going to remember perhaps all those moments when you scratch your ear. <laughs> and yes, things do get lost. And they are lost, but sometimes they weren't lost in the first place and they become lost like the lost son well, and the lost sheep and the lost coin. Where were they in the first place? That's actually, and this was a hard one for me, to be brutally honest. When we, when we look at a passage like this, it's nice to talk about the good encouraging stuff, but the challenging bit is how did something get lost in the first place? How did she lose that coin? Was she not careful? How, how did the sheep get lost? Was the gate not locked? Was there... Uh, not due care and attention paid. Obviously, it's a, it's a parable to explain the, the reunion, the finding, the restoration, of course. But I wonder how many people there are that are lost because we didn't love them in the first place. We were distracted by the stuff and the things. Our focus was off. The overflow of our love relationship with the Lord can potentially limit some being lost in the first place. So it's a tough one and I actually struggle as I process that. Is there things in my life, my behavior, opportunities I had to love somebody and I didn't and subsequently they or somebody else is lost because of it? Well, there's a few of us here and there's probably a few more watching but I want to tell you something important. We have the best news in the world. This world is searching for truth. Well, we know the truth, and he has a name. His name is Jesus. It's not a philosophy, it's not a vaccine, it's not a manual, it's not a playbook. It's a person, and his name is Jesus. 
I've heard, I've heard this many years. In fact, somebody probably told us before we were married, uh, the best gift you can give to your spouse is a uh, surrendered life to Christ. That's absolutely wonderfully true. You know, instead of trying to be the best husband, trying to be the best wife, you set your eyes on Jesus and let that overflow. In fact, I saw a really nice uh, tri triangle drawn. I don't know if you've seen that. It's a well, a, yeah, triangle. And at the bottom point is the husband and the other one is the wife. And instead of trying to be um, the best husband, the best wife, you put God at the top of that little point of the triangle. And the idea is the closer you get to God, the closer you get to each other. It's nice. You know, it's, it's lovely. But the point is true not just of marriages, of every relationship. The, to be the, um, the friend, the, um, the son, the daughter, the husband, the wife, the worker, the neighbor, the more focused we are on Christ, his life, the more use we are, the more we uh, will love those around us. If I'm truly surrendered to my Lord, if I love him with all my heart, my soul, my mind, and my strength, then and only then can I love my neighbor as I'm called to. My family member that's hard work that doesn't know Christ yet. They won't just hear Jesus from my lips. There's nothing wrong with telling those people that don't know about Jesus. Absolutely nothing wrong with telling them about Jesus. We should do that, of course. But they should see something in our life. It should be an overflow of his life lived out by him in us. That is the best evangelism strategy you'll ever hear. It's not from me. It's from Christ himself. You love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. And then you can love your neighbor. We can't do this ourselves. What a savior we have and what a joy it is to know him. At that point, we will stop and I will pray. Father, thank you so much. Thank you so much for your life, for your word that it reveals truth, person of truth, the Lord Jesus Christ himself. Lord, forgive us for when we sometimes knowingly, sometimes unknowingly stray from what is right and true and we seek satisfaction in other areas. We look for value and identity in other things. Lord, help us to be a people that trust you and you alone, that place our faith in you and surrender our lives fully, that we love you with all we have and that every other relationship we have is simply an overflow of that relationship with you. Thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. And now we're going to sing another song, the song King of Kings. <laughs>